This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 61. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Brandon Turner. Woo! And the crowd, crowd goes, goes wild. Wild. Yeah. How's it going? What's up, Brandon? How are you? I'm good, Josh. I'm uh, I'm great. I was actually just outside because it was like 65 degrees today, and I was trying to remove stumps, and it didn't work real, real well. Yeah, I ended up yeah. tearing up my yard with my truck. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm really not interested in anything that you have to say here. I don't know how to tear out stumps, apparently. Uh, you don't pull it with a rope in your truck. No, you do it with a chain in somebody else's truck. There you go. <laughs> in your neighbor's yard. Exactly, exactly. Well, so today, Brandon, we've got a, we got a little bit of a different show, don't we? Uh, I believe we do, because we've got a uh, special guest and a first time repeat. We've never repeated a guest before. We have not. And this repeat guest for those people who are watching on YouTube is actually giggling, sitting around, wiggling right next to you there. <laughs> it's Ben Labovich. What's up, Ben? Hi, guys. How are you? We are good. We are good. We've, this is a totally different show than we've ever done. People are like freaking out at home. Like, you yeah, know, they don't know where's, the, where's the quick tip and all that? I don't know. Well, right. thank you, thank you for the invite. I, I, I you know, it, it's going to be a different show. I think from from what I've been told is going to be a different format, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a, a great show. Yeah, no, we are too. We are too. Well, so for for everybody who's listening to today's show is is uh, going to be we're, we're we're testing a new format, and and uh, we're picking a topic, and and today's topic is how to buy. A multifamily property, and uh, we we thought Ben would be a, a great person to join us in in today's conversation for today's show. So yeah, we're we're very much looking forward to it, and and I think uh, with that we we might as well just kind of kick into this thing. What do you what do you say, B? What do you say, B? B <laughs> B of course referring to both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great, Josh. Jay. Yes. <laughs> Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. All right, well, let's do this. Why don't we kick this off at the uh, you know beginning? Uh, why, Ben? Why should somebody buy a multifamily property? Um, I, I don't know why somebody should. I can tell you why I do. <laughs> okay, and, okay and, we need a and, new guest. <laughs> the, the 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 reason I think most of us buy multifamily property is for the income. That's that's the bottom line is we believe that we can get more income out of multifamily than we can out of SFRs. Uh, there are also efficiencies in management and financing options that are available in, in multifamily that are not available in single family. Um, it's kind of a loaded question, like everything else in real estate, yeah. why multifamily as opposed to single family. But there are uh, a number of very good reasons. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Really quick, you know, I, and I did forget to mention something. Uh, ben was previously on episode 14 of the podcast. You could check out that show at biggerpockets.com slash show 14. Definitely go check it out and listen. And, uh, you know, for those of you guys who are, who are listening, um, we're not really looking to cover so much on the specifics today, like the financing, dealing with brokers, things like that. We're going to talk about things like what makes a good deal, why multifamily, you know, the, the, the type of stuff that more of a novice is really looking to understand before they jump in and, and make that first or second or third uh, buy decision on, on an income property. Yeah. And, and also just to, to point out, when we talk about multifamily, you know, a lot of people might wonder, is that mean two units? Does that mean a hundred units or a thousand units? And I think, at least from my perspective, we're going to cover everything. It kind of all applies. But I, I mean, for those who know me, I'm much more focused on anything smaller. So two, three, four up to, you know, I think I, I have a 24 unit. Like that's kind of my range. And Ben, you're probably about the same right now. Uh, I am the same. I've been the same, although right now, as most people know from my articles and what I write, I am looking at syndication. And so that's that's 100 plus. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. we're going to cover probably a kind of a full gamut here. So and really, really quick, you know, on, on the topic that, that you're you're talking about, the two, three, fours and then the bigger ones, there is a distinct difference. Right. I mean, uh, a two a two unit, a three unit, a four unit, those are generally considered what? Those are considered residential properties still, correct? In, in, 
relative to the financing options, yep. yes, uh, you can finance them on a 30-year mortgage, uh, a conforming, uh, sec- a secondary market, sellable kind of mortgage, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type of mortgage. Obviously, you can't do that with anything five units and above. Um, but there are a number of differences going from smaller to larger. Uh, sure. Aside for, and I think we just want to focus for the most part on the smaller stuff uh, today because I think most people listening uh, would derive more value out of that. Wherever, you know, if I happen to chime in and say, hey, it's not so different when looking at 100, you're hearing my dog. Nice. (laughs) Let me take care of that. Hang on just a minute. Uh, wait, are you literally going to leave in the middle yeah, of the podcast? Well, you know what? Um, <laughs> this is a live show, Ben. You can't just bounce, man. <laughs> you might hear the dog again. Oh, we I'm might sorry. have to again. I'm sorry. It's I'm a, sorry. All right. So, so listen, we're we're we we talked about SFR. Uh, talking about single family properties. What what's the difference between a single and a multi? I mean, other than there's more than one door, more than one unit. Is other any other differences? There's more than one rent, which means you're managing more than one person. Uh, most people, and I think Brandon will agree with this, most people think they're managing property. No, you're not. Yeah, okay, you can fix a few things here and there. You can call it pro plumber or whatever. But by and large, success in this is a function of managing people. Yeah. So the more people you have to manage, the more kind of the learning curve becomes and the more you have to know as a manager. Gotcha. Um, and that's probably the biggest learning curve. Gotcha. Would you would you concur, Brandon? I feel like I'm interviewing the both of you. It's actually kind of fun. <laughs> I would concur. I like the word concur. It sounds like something a doctor would say. I would concur. Uh, and one thing I've noticed, and I think I maybe even said this last week in the podcast, but w- like when you're managing a house, like I would rather manage 50 houses than 50 units in an apartment building. I don't know if you feel that way, Ben, but I feel like apartments and multifamily, I feel like that just, I don't know, it's more work, it's more hassle, they're more needy, maybe that's the case. I don't know, do you feel that that way, Ben? I feel completely differently about <laughs> managing right. 50 houses. You're wrong. Versus, <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. We, we need a new sound effect, by the way. That would be the awesome uh, sound uh. effect. <laughs> I would much rather manage a 50-unit apartment building than 50 houses. Okay, so, and Brandon, you say the opposite, right? I, well, just from my experience, like I have half my units are, are single family and half are multifamily. And my multifamily take up 10 times more work for me than my single family, even though I have roughly the same number. So I, well, let, let's talk about that. Why, why do you think that is, Brandon? And then I'd love to hear Ben's take on that. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, I would say that the single family houses I have are generally fixed up already, right? Like, they're, like I bought them to flip and then I put t- uh, tenants in them is how I got a lot of them. So it makes sense that the, the maintenance isn't as big of a deal there. The people actually have like good jobs and uh, good income, a little bit higher uh, quality tenant maybe than the multifamilies are a lot more, not necessarily section eight. Cause I don't have any of those anymore, but just a lot lower income, which then they, I don't know, they break things more. Is that bad to say? <laughs> well, know. so you take care of your single family rentals and your slumlord <laughs> when it comes to the multis. That's great. Now, now we know it's on the record. Let me, jump, let me jump in here. Cause what brand, what, what you both said, um, 
bears a lot on this conversation. The ease of management is a function of desirability. It's as, as landlords, we cannot attract tenants. It's our properties that attract tenants. When you talk about single family versus multifamily, yes, the common wisdom is that people stay longer in a single family, that are they're more desirable because of privacy, because of the garage, because of more space, because of climate control systems that are, you know, dedicated in a single family. You can achieve this in a multifamily. The problem is, is that when most people look at multifamily, they see the big price tag. And so they automatically assume they have to step down one or two notches in terms of quality of the building. Well, when you do that, you end up with quality of the tenant, which is one or two notches. Yeah. So, and I think Brandon and I talked about outlining some of the bullet points for us to talk about, and this is going to come up, the, the whole aspect, the whole issue of desirability as a function of success well, in this business. Can you explain real quick, what is desirability for those people who don't know? I know you well, use that term a lot and I like it, but what does it mean? Okay, so is that when you two talk privately, or <laughs> no? In his blog post on Bigger Pockets. Oh, okay, yeah. And and and, and when we probably talk privately, <laughs> me and Ben talk a lot. Like we we text like like fifteen year old girls all day. It's <laughs> anyway. Hey, I, I'm a fifteen year old boy. You're my girlfriend. Let's <laughs> not confuse things, okay? Wow. Um, don't don't, don't <laughs> so tell my wife. <laughs> let, let's let's look at this, and and this is this is this is crucial. Throughout the lifespan of a real estate investment, so you are looking for it, you are identifying it. Now you've bought it, now you manage it, now you sell it. Either 1031 or, or just flat out sell it or hold on to it for the rest of your life. But eventually, you have to sell that bag. You know, you're not going to take it with you. That's the kind of the thinking. Well, throughout that whole process, you're asking yourself questions around desirability. As you're managing it, you have a product on your hands. Who wants it? Why would they want it? If you're going to improve the value of that product in multifamily space, of course, and we need to talk about this probably, value is a function of income. So improving value, creating value in a transaction is a function of creating income. Well, why should you be able to buy a fourplex whereby rents are 500 a unit and drive them up to 600 and a quarter? Why should people pay more? What is so special about your fourplex that people would agree that it's worth 625? And the reason you bought it is because it was undermanaged and you saw value in being able to drive, I call it expandability, in being able to drive it. But it's a function of desirability to the potential tenants. Yeah. And your managing is a function of desirability to you. So, you know, if you have to pay everybody's water bill, well, that's thumbs down for desirability as far as you're concerned. If it's a 125-year-old bill, if it's, a, if it's Waldo that Brandon and I wrote about back and forth on the blog, whereby it was a single family house and it was split up into three units, there is some inherent to that problems. So management-wise, the desirability to the landlord suffers. And that has to be reflected in the value. Well, but now my thought is, you know, people, and, and, and I think I see this with investors and I know I'm a victim of it and I say victim and it's actually really the wrong word. Um, you, you, buy a, you buy a single family house, you, you even as the investor 
uh, particularly newer investors, think, oh, this is a house. Let me clean it up. Let me shimmy it up, fix it up, and then you know, get it rented. When you're dealing with a multi, you know, there's so many more pieces involved. And, and I think it's very easy to overlook uh, the, the need to, to jump in and fix up the building up front. And, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from. I, again, I know I, I was a quote victim. I wasn't a victim of it, but you know, I, I experienced this myself where, you know, I bought, I bought some multis and, and, you know, wanted, I put money into the units themselves, but you know, in, in the building as a whole, I wasn't necessarily doing as much as I could have. So, you know, in the end, everything kind of suffered because of that. Now there were a million other factors involved in the whole situation. So, uh, you can't really look at any one particular thing, but I, I think I'm probably being fair when I generalize and say that, uh, when newer investors jump into a multi property, um, they're less inclined to go and spend the money to do the fix up up front that they might otherwise do on a single family. Would you guys agree on that? I would agree on that. Um, Darren Sager talked about that on his podcast back. I'm not sure what number I'll have to look that up later and I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, Darren talked about on his rentals when he takes over one, he goes through and fixes everything. I mean, top to bottom, remodels the entire unit perfectly and, and with a plan to never touch those things again. And I think that's rare. Even oh, in yeah. my, yeah, in my own case, like, I mean, I, I let's, let's talk about Waldo. Okay. So Waldo, for those who don't know, and Ben just mentioned it was what he labeled my triplex that I bought. I wrote an article called how I bought an ugly purple triplex. And, uh, I kind of outlined my whole thing. And so Ben called it a Waldo and we went back and forth on the blog for a couple of weeks, just kind of writing articles about it where Ben w- said he wouldn't have bought that property. And I said, I'm perfectly glad I did. And the reason why is because it was, it was different. It stood out. It wasn't a normal property. It was a big, huge house that was split. They put a basement apartment in. They put a garage apartment in. And when I took over that thing, my original budget, I said I was going to spend between five and 10,000. I'm actually, to give people an update, I'm at 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there right now on repairs, uh, largely because of actually something Ben had said. He said, the plumbing system in a place like that isn't necessarily designed for a triplex. Now, that wasn't the problem. The problem was somebody flushed rocks down the toilet. Oh, that was the one with the that rocks. That was the one with the rocks, yeah. <laughs> By Which, the way, Brandon spent like an entire weekend like hammering out the plumbing yeah. because uh, he lives in the middle of nowhere. And, and you can't plumbers. get a good plumber on the weekend in the middle of nowhere, which is why, you know, as a warning, it's, you know, be aware of those things <laughs> because you buy a property in Lima or in Montesano. <laughs> I mean, you may not have somebody to help you out in the middle of the weekend. You may be doing your own work. Yep. No, 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 no. <laughs> we have people to help us out. Uh, but I, I, gotcha. I want to add something to this conversation though. That's it. And, and, uh, maybe you'll take it the wrong way. Maybe <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. I don't know if he's going after you or me, but he's gunning up. People need to know this. You can put lipstick on the pig all day long. If what you got is a pig, then what you have is a pig. And people aren't stupid. They're going to see through the lipstick and they're going to know what you have. Yep. And how do you define, how do you make that distinction? Location. We, we can talk about upgrades. I'm disagree, by the way, but keep going. We can, talk about, we can talk about making upgrades all day long. We can talk about cleaning up, trading out carpets, everything else. Location drives desirability. People know where they want to live. You know, I never advertise. 
I don't buy anything that I have to advertise. People drive the neighborhood where they want to be, and they see my Ferenc sign in the ground. Now, I'm a small-time investor at this point with you know 28 units or whatever it is, but whatever it is it's 28 units but <laughs> i got you know, so many I, I don't even remember when, when, I do, <laughs> when i do the syndicate i mean i got people moving out of this house right now and their friends are calling me because they want to be in this house uh, i you know it's it's because of location yeah the house is okay it's fine but it's location but ben if you have the best house in the neighborhood so say you're in a blue collar neighborhood and you you put in the best of you know there's it's it's mixed there's there's multis and there's singles and you've got you know the average rent on on those uh, well forget average rent I mean your 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 building is desirable you've got this pimped out building that's really really nice and you're a land, great landlord that cares about your tenants and who takes care of this building that's going to drive folks right Yes and no, because you can't afford to be that guy. The valuation is driven by the marketplace. So as much as I want to make it nice for my tenants and as much as I want mine to be the best rental, unless the marketplace supports my expenditures in terms of the purchase price and fix-up costs, relative to both rents, I don't have to charge more rent than somebody else. I just want to charge the same rent to somebody else but have the best property. And I can't do that if I am in a lesser location fixing property up because it's ne- I'm not going to get my money out. Well, the again, it, is decided. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll agree on that partially. But again, you know, you, you buy the, how much was the purple monster, wh- whatever the... 70,000. 70,000, you're 15 in, what are your rents? Uh, the, we just rented the main unit out for 900, the basement for 500 and... The garage should be rented out hopefully this week for another five. So, so fifty percent like, rule right there, right? Yeah, e- yeah, easily. Yeah, easily cash flows at the fifty percent. Easily. I mean, it's it's actually beats the. It's more than the two percent rule. It's a, yeah. It's it's a good. I mean, it's a good cash flow property. And even with the fifteen that I'm in instead of five, because of the stupid plumbing issues, which you know Ben, you were right about. So there you go. Publicly, you were right. But even with that it's still a, it was still a, an incredible deal and and largely because it's in a great location it's in the best street in that t- in that town it is okay and so like the location i think will will pull me out now if i had bought that point. if i had bought that same thing over in a bad location i, I mean you you I, wouldn't throw good money after bad you wouldn't go and put $15,000 into a bad location we don't put money into buildings we put money into location Period. That's a tweetable topic right there. And and, and the thing of it is... <laughs> it's I'll the give, professor. I'll give you an example. <laughs> right now, I'm looking, I'm looking at 100 plus units, okay? And the basic formula that everybody looks at, buy a C building in a big location and do what you're going to do to bring up the quality of the building from C to C plus to B minus to B because the location substantiates you doing that. But if you bought a B building in a C location, doesn't matter what you do, you couldn't finance it out. You can't sell it for enough to get the money out. And it's very questionable if you'll get the stable rent out of that just because the place is nice. I, you know, I, I think you're right when you're looking at a larger property. I think when you're looking at uh, a two, a three, a four, um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that somebody should go and buy a property 
that's going to lose money. That's obviously a bad thing, but you know, it's easy for somebody to look at a property and say, Oh, well this, this fourplex is, you know, in a, in a not so desirable area. Um, and, and the numbers look good. The potential rents look good. Why don't I jump in and buy this property? And again, I think, I think that's where a lot of people fail when they jump in on these, these properties, the numbers make sense, right? I mean, you take Brandon's well, property. No, I disagree though. I disagree well, that well, the numbers make sense. But you're not letting me finish. Let me finish. Hold <laughs> on. Wow. Kept, let's, uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, master. <laughs> boxing right here. So, so the numbers make sense on paper, right? So hold on. No. The numbers, <laughs> oh my God, Ben, slow down here. Okay. The potential rent for the Brandon's Purple Monster, whether it's on that really desirable street or say it's three blocks over where the rents are comparable, okay, are going to be the same, okay? But if you look at and you compare it to the property that's on that really desirable street versus the property that's over there, that's the intangible, okay? And that's something that has to be evaluated. And that's something that a new investor isn't so... Uh, isn't experienced enough to be able to evaluate. So- and Brandon may disagree with me, and we had an argument on one of my posts. Well, you lately. argued with somebody? Shocking. Then we well, argue in every Brandon. one of your posts, whether or not we agree or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that if, you, if, if I was to quantify or qualify what you just said, it's because when you talk about that, when new investors talk about numbers, all they look at is cash flow. Correct. Or perhaps cash and cash return. The intangible is I buy this not just for cash flow. I want it to appreciate because the equity that's created allows me additional leverage opportunities. It allows me additional exit opportunities. It allows me to be very creative with private money financing against the equity that I have. It allows a lot of options. So while cash flow makes a lot of sense on something, doesn't mean I'm going to buy it because I'm not, yes, cash flow is everything. And this is why we buy income property. But we all, there, are, there are a multitude of other subheadings under the topic of should I buy this or should I not above and beyond the cash flow. The and the cash flow, right. ca- exactly, they're e- much more difficult to comprehend, to wrap your head around, to understand. The cash flow is simple, black and white numbers. You can add, you can subtract, you can even do the cap rate. Well, so so really quick, and then let's move on to, to, to the next topic here. So what do you tell, and, and this, this is to both of you guys, what do you tell the new investor who's looking at a property, whose numbers look Pretty good. And, and we'll talk about the numbers in, in a little bit here, but the numbers look pretty good. How, how are they to know what those intangibles are? You know, I, you know can we define those intangibles uh, beyond location? Well, I don't know what that means. You know, I'm a, I'm a new guy. What is, what is a good location? I mean, what, so what, what are okay. these things that we need to look at you know, definitively to kind of protect these folks 
who are looking at these multifamilies. And I leave it to Brandon first, and then I know Ben will <laughs> well, beat them up afterwards. We probably disagree a little bit on this. And let me tell you a quick story. So there was a property a year ago, no, probably two years ago, back that I wrote on the Bigger Pockets blog, one of my very, very first blog posts I ever wrote for you guys. And it said, it was called, Should I Buy This um, Sixplex? Or something like that. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. The idea was, it was a sixplex that came on the market for like $90,000 in my in my town. And I looked at it and it was in kind of a bad neighborhood. Not like I'm going to get shot in that neighborhood, but one that I wouldn't feel comfortable sending my wife probably alone to go show a unit to. So I did, I asked the question. I put the picture on there. I showed all the numbers. I said, would you buy this? Everybody said no in the comments. Said no, 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 don't buy it. And Ben, if you were on, I don't know if you were even on Bigger Pockets at that time, but if you, if you were, you would have told me no. And today you would still tell me no. <laughs> so one of my best friends bought that property after I decided not to, he went after it and he went and bought it and he's had zero vacancies in two years now on that zero vacancies. He's had a total of like <clears throat> $50 in repairs in two years. He's had, I mean, the most smooth, perfect rental of all time. I mean, like it's the easiest cash cow ever and he, he makes a ton of money on it. So he's my, my friend has another sixplex in the same neighborhood, same rents he loses money on that property. I mean, every month he loses money on that for there's no in. So I don't exactly know my point here, but I guess my point is, how do you know? Maybe I'm just asking Ben this question. How do you know that? How do you know you get the one and not the other? Or do you vote avoid both? Assuming you're not going to get that. That's it. Because everybody gets lucky once in a while. We're not talking about one offs here. We're talking about developing a systematic approach to evaluating and determining what is good and what is bad. Yes, there's God feelings involved. Yes, you can overrule maybe even yourself in the way that you analyze things. And once in a while, everybody gets lucky. But by and large, which is what we're talking about, tell them about the other six flags that just happened, you know, two weeks ago. Well, that's that's yeah. the same. That's the same one. This is probably a good time to tell this story. So, uh, this is this, the second sixplex that loses money. I didn't know it lost money. All right. So my, my buddy never told me this. So, uh, basically the story goes, this, and, and wait, let me, let me just clarify. You, yeah. you call him your buddy and, yeah, and he is he, my buddy. And yet he almost sold you a pig with <laughs> lipstick all over it. Huh? Well, let me tell the, the so the story <laughs> is he asked me if I wanted to buy it. He said he would finance it. I said, that sounds great. I said, well, how, how do the numbers look? He said, well, I don't have them all in front of me. My partner takes care of that side of things, but it's good. We cash flow around 800 bucks a month. He said, we're looking to make, you know, an extra couple hundred, you know, on that. So you'll be making $600 a month. I'm like, oh, great. $600 a month for a sixplex, zero down. Great. I can take that. And so we went through the entire process almost of buying it. And I kept asking for the numbers and I never really got the numbers from him. It was always, yeah, I talked to my partner. He'll get them to you sometime. So then like five days before, by the way, to, anyone listening, that's a big fat, there's a red big flag. red flag, but I mean like, like he's like my mentor and my like closest friend. So like, like I learned Excuse a lot me, of stuff. I thought I him. was, <laughs> well, after this deal, you might be. So anyway, so Ben calls me, I don't know what we were talking about, but I mentioned that I was buying this property. And what did you say, Ben? I don't know, but I don't think I can repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, basically your point was. You need to get these numbers specifically. Do not just trust this guy. And even if you had the numbers, you still shouldn't buy this. But, you know, at that point, I'm like, you know, I really, really need to get these numbers before I move forward. I was just trusting this you know, because 
I just trusted him to be a good deal. So I, I started doing the numbers. I plugged them into the bigger pockets. This sounds like a terrible plug, but it's totally true. I actually plugged them into the bigger pockets, uh, prop, uh, rental property calculator, like the exact everything. And it came out to like, I would make $40 a month, not 600 a month, $40 a month. And that's if things, that's if there wasn't a roof leak or a, uh, you know, a window broken or whatever. That, that's not taking into effect CapEx at all. It was just normal wear and tear, normal repairs and normal vacancy. I was going to make 40 bucks a month. So over the long run, I would have been losing thousands of month, thousands a year on that property probably. And uh, so I, I owe it to Ben for saying, you know, Brandon, don't be an idiot. Go look at the numbers better and, it yeah. worked, so I didn't buy it. Uh, so yeah. Well, re- really, really quick, let me let me pull out something that that jumps out at me from that, and yeah. then I'll let you guys box over it. Um, the the uh, <laughs> the big thing on this was was the numbers, right? So if ever you're looking at an investment property and you don't get the numbers, and somebody the seller is hesitant to provide those numbers for you. Really, you have to look at that as a big fat warning sign. It doesn't mean don't invest in the property. There may be a legitimate reason why they may not have it at that moment in time. But if you get any kind of pushback at all on getting the numbers, and I mean every number, um, it's it's time to move. Yep. And 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 I'm guessing you guys would agree. And I I, I think we're going to spend probably some time at least talking about the numbers in this podcast because nah. of the next thing I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm going to say that. It's almost better when they don't give you the numbers than when you do receive the numbers because you assume they're lying. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. I am looking at these big, pro- okay, so I'm looking at bigger projects at this point, but the numbers I'm seeing are out of this world. I mean, you just, you just scratch your head and you go like, how do you even arrive at the purchase price looking at these numbers? And, you know, they, they'll give it to you with a straight face. So I hate to be cynical, but you have to be cynical. More than that, you have to know the marketplace. When you are looking at the schedule of rents that you are given, you have to know how it fits into what you know the marketplace to be in this location. If you And that's probably I'm jumping ahead a little bit knowing the marketplace well we, we might as well just you know tie into that because it's 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 crucial analyzing a building is completely useless unless you can place it into the fabric of the marketplace you um, can't know the truth otherwise explain that go go into a little more okay. detail i i i am looking at a fourplex uh whereby Every rent is $600 a month according to the pro forma that I receive from the owner or a listing agent or yep. what have I know this marketplace and I know the two bedroom units of this age, of this quality, of this approximate square footage and amenities rent for approximately 475 units. I just know it because I've studied my marketplace and I know it. So the question I'm asking, well, first of all, is this valuable? I am looking at a pro forma that proclaims that there are four units renting for 600 a pop. And I know that talking from other landlords, everybody else in this style of building, this style of unit is getting 475. Is that valuable? Yes. Something is off. What is so special about these units in this particular fourplex that they should get $600 a unit? 
whereas everybody else is getting 475. Are you really going to get that? Maybe you can get to the bottom of this question. Maybe you can't. Vice versa, $600 rents on the pro forma. And I know that uh, units like this in this marketplace rent for eight. Is that valuable? You bet. Because I want to buy based on current income. And if I can negotiate a price based on current income and then push the income up, then uh, good for me. The catch is that if I cannot do that, then guess who's laughing? Yeah. So I have to know the marketplace. So on on that first case where they're proclaiming in the performer that it's $600 and uh, ultimately your research tells you it should be four seventy five. dollars You know, what, what, you know, the average guy might come and say, well, this building's getting 600 bucks. That's awesome. And, you know, what if the landlord could then verify with rents? Hey, you know what? This building is getting 600 a unit, 600 a unit, 600 a unit, 600 a unit. You got the leases, you're presented with everything. Well, again, I think for the novice investor, they're going to look at it and say, wow, well, I got to get in on this thing. This looks awesome. I'm going to get 600 a rent on, on these units. Right. I and have they- proof of it. And in the end, it's probably some kind of anomaly is what you're saying that's happening that, here. And in the long tail, they're probably going to end up losing out because those rents will probably, ha- they have to come down to market. Right. And you're presumed, so for instance, uh, and I'm just telling you some of the tricks that people do, you write up a lease for 12 months, but you give a month free and you divvy the numbers up into 11 months, that drives up your monthly rent. So on paper, it looks like 600, whereas in reality, per annum, they're paying much less than what, you know, what, what it looks like on the PNL, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Also, it could simply, you know, that's when people- Which is fraud, by the way. Right? Which is fraud. And, <laughs> yeah. and but, you know, but not to say that people don't do it, which yeah. is why it's so important to look at every piece, every, every piece of this puzzle, which is why I was on Brandon. To look at everything, you know, because it's, you know, you just, you just don't know. Uh, you know, if I could building out, I, I would have told them not to buy anyhow, even if everything <laughs> was cool and cash flowing. You would have uh, been, and we can, we can have that debate, but I want to, I want to point out just for the people listening, they might be wondering why were the numbers so off? So just to give specifics, uh, first of all, there was flood insurance required there and they wanted uh, I mean, it was like $200 a month for flood insurance. So I was not aware there was flood insurance. Uh, the power, this is a, this is an interesting one. The power bill when I ran the numbers in like on my own, I was like, well, there's a light bulb in the ho- in the hallway and there's a washer and dryer out back. That's not going to use very much power. I think I estimated 75 bucks a month when I did like my numbers the first time. When I find out the actual numbers, it was 350 a month. And I thought like, oh. you know, it's huge. Well, why is that? Well, I found out the wiring was like when they wanted to add a baseboard heater into one of the bedrooms, they would just grab whatever the nearest wire was and plug it in. So the hallway light, was getting fed was I mean the hallway like the hallway power was feeding a lot more than just one light it was feeding a lot of different things all over and you know it was reasons like that that drove the and power bill like three hundred dollars a month that's why I say that my recommendation to you even if it looked like it was cash flowing to still not buy it because this kind of junk was going on in this building and you could smell it from a mile off. <laughs> well, how did you how did you smell? It? I mean, besides the fact that Brandon's got sucker written on his head, I mean, how did how did you uh, no, I mean, I mean seriously, this is something that that people, 
and and whether it was Brandon coming close and Brandon's got a bunch of units. He's been doing this a long time. There's people who come in. How the hell do they know whether they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes? How do they know whether that's happening or or it's not happening? What it's what do they do? Well, I'm, unfortunately, I have to tell you, some of it is school of hard knocks. Mm-hmm. You just you just have to find this stuff out for yourself. You have to get burned once, twice, however many times it takes. I mean, bigger pockets is a fabulous resource, but it you still have to experience certain things uh, in order to develop the the big picture, the foresight. Um, you know, I going back to the rent. I, you know, I didn't didn't finish with what might happen. I'll tell you, Brandon's uh, Waldo building, the triplex. One of the apartments is in the basement. That to me always rings a bell because it's a, it's a daylight basement though, but it, it's a daylight. Okay, I mean, it's, so it's, it's like above ground. some basements are worse than others in terms of safety, egress, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, just because this particular landlord lucky enough to rent this unit for $600 doesn't mean that when you take over the building, that you are going to get lucky too. Right. And if you know that the market is 475 for this building, are you going to plan on getting lucky or are you going to plan on getting real? Yep. Yeah. And no, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're lying. They may not be lying. They just might have gotten lucky. Yep. And that happens. Or, yeah. Or they might have bought this building, remodeled the unit. And, you know, for four years, it's the same person paying $600 because it was over market back in the time, but the unit was so nice for this location, they agreed. A sucker is born every day. Yep. Yeah. Right. All right. No, for sure. For sure. All right. So really quick, this is show 61 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. Brandon, Josh, and Ben Labovich here talking about buying a small multifamily and, uh, I, why, why don't we move on really quick? By the way, you know we—it's we, funny because over over sixty shows, you you always get the uh, people who leave us good reviews about our our show and and think you know hey you guys are doing a great job you're you're really trying to dig in and and get to the bottom of things. Like we said, we're trying a new format today where it's more very much more conversational than our typical show. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of people who are going to say, well, you guys don't have an agenda and you're just going off in different <laughs> tangents. And, and, you know, to that, I, I stand up and I say, you know, it's part of a discussion, you know, we're, 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 this is how people talk. And, and, you know, as this is our virtual coffee shop right here. Yeah. As your mind, you know, as things, as you, as you get into questions, you just start going off in, in different ways. And, and I was going to say, we do have an agenda. We just can't follow. Yeah. And we're trying, <laughs> we're trying very hard to follow this thing, but we're, so I'm going to try and jump onto the next thing here, which is rental property rules. And, and this is something that I, I think, uh, you know, if, if you're familiar with bigger pockets at all, you've heard us talk about, you've seen on the site, you've seen argued, in, in, in many directions, but let, let's kind of cover those really quick. So I I'd say the, the, the big two that we hear most often are the uh, 50% rule and the 2% rule. And Brandon, why don't you jump in on those two? What are we talking about here? Sure. So the 50% rule is a way of quickly estimating what your potential cash flow might, might be. All it, all it says is if you take half of your rent and then subtract out your mortgage payment, 
that's what your cash flow is going to be. So it's a really, really quick, rough way of saying. So again, going back to the fourplex at $600 a unit, like we were talking about before, that's $2,400 a month total. Divide that in half, and that half covers all your expenses except for the mortgage. You got $1,200 left. You pay your mortgage. Let's say the mortgage, uh, you know, principal and uh, interest ends up being $800. means you're left with $400 in cash flow. That's that's what the 50% rule says. Uh, whether or not that's right or wrong, I guess, is up for debate. And uh, Ben, what are your thoughts on that? We'll, we'll get to the well, two. Should, we, should I say two percent too? Well, before you know, before before you go there, and before you turn to Ben, I, sure. I'm I'm going to okay. cut off and and say we've we've actually talked about this uh, in the past couple of days. You and I, the fifty percent rule, and we've always talked about you know the fifty percent rule is generally a safe rule for screening properties. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you and I've talked about, Brandon, and I think Ben and we, you might have been part of these conversations too, is on some of these multis, 50% isn't safe. 60% you want to look more towards. Yeah, we it, talked about it, that last week with uh, with Surge um, a lot too, about that sometimes 50% isn't even close to enough, especially yeah. the larger you get. So yeah. would, would you agree, Labovich? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm in it. it Okay, so when you are going to be a small guy, you're going to buy the place, you're going to manage it yourself. So that's that's a cost savings to you. Now we can we can have a wonderful discussion about whether or not to include management into the operating costs yes. that fifty percent or not. But <laughs> the fact of it is is that I manage my own portfolio. I think I can do it better. But when I buy this 140 unit, I'm sure as hell not going to manage it. So it Why has not? to be included. <laughs> so because I don't want that job, you know, it's then it becomes a job. Right now, my managing my portfolio is, you know, so forty-seven units isn't a job, but a hundred forty-seven is. Where's the line? Okay, when I say manage, I, I'm different from from Brandon. Uh, <laughs> I, I've seen Brandon. You don't clean toilets. I don't clean. <laughs> I don't clean toilets, but I climb on roofs. I've seen pictures of him on the roof. By the way, it was the six flex that he thought about buying and didn't buy. That was that was the roof. <laughs> oh, was that the one with the roof so with we, the oh, flashing? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, that was that one. I don't do that. So my <laughs> in, in the rain on the uh, yeah, and the wife sitting in the car. That poor girl. <laughs> I did that for a friend. He needed help. I went and fixed it. So yeah, this is the friend he, who almost sold that property. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, have a good so, we have a good friendship. Uh, yes. I think I think 50% doesn't really work in the bigger buildings. I think if you get 60% you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, that meaning that the operating costs, taxes, insurance, upkeep, capex, uh, uh you know, water, sewer, trash, lawn, you name it. Everything include and in a larger projects of course you have payroll. You have, you know, units you're giving away to, to people living at the complex. You have a lot of that. If you can get that within 60% and you are still looking at a building that's not completely trash, you're doing really well. So uh, 50%, you know, I'll give an example. That 10 plex I bought a year ago, the, on day one, the, the gross rent was, I think, $5,800. Plus or minus, the NOI was thirty four hundred. Can you define NOI really quickly for those people listening? Net operating income is, uh, and I think we're going to come back to this in a bit. But net operating income is gross income combination of all income streams 
in a multifamily asset minus all of the operating costs. And you have variable operating costs and fixed operating costs, but essentially it's income minus all of the expenses, not including the cost of money. So not including your first mortgage, your second mortgage, however many mortgages. I like to say it's the cash in your wallet to pay the to pay the mortgage. It's whatever you have left. I mean, like to pay the mortgage. Would that is that how? Am I looking at that right? Uh, it's, it, it, I feel much. that's like the layman's <laughs> term of it's like that's how much cash I have left that I can pay the mortgage with. Right. I think some, and and and, and then then you get into and I think we need to as part of this this uh, podcast we need to talk about debt service coverage ratio, which is. Uh, what the banks look at, and I think we need to look at, and we don't often talk about it at all. And cash flow, of course, is that NOI, net operating income, minus your mortgages. I call it cost of money. I call it debt service. You can call it mortgages. Whatever mortgage payments, meaning monthly expense. Okay. And, and so this NOI is very important number because we use it to base our valuation on. And the reason we use it as opposed to anything else, is because, you know, the the mortgage payment varies with the type of financing you attach to the property. And Brandon may do it one way, and I may do it another way, and somebody else may put 40% down on this property, and their cost of money is going to be a lot less. Yeah. But we need a way that's uniform to analyze and place value on property. Everybody's going to have to pay sewer. Everybody's going to have to pay garbage. Everybody will have to pay property taxes, insurance. Everybody will have to pay capital expense, you know, fixing the roof. We all have to do that. And so we isolate these expenses that everybody, that apply to everybody equally. And we subtract those expenses from the income, which is the same for everybody. And we arrive at this magical number called net operating income, NOI. And that gives us kind of the, 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 the apples to apples foundation to then say, okay, well, if I'm willing to deploy capital at 10%, then if I base this on this net operating income, how much am I going to be willing to pay that's going to give me 10%? And that would be the next step, you know, in, in the progression where you go from figuring out this NOI. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, so I'd, I'd say... In general, then, 50% rule, kind of designed to help people do a quick screen, nothing more than that, of a property to see, hey, does this make sense? Generally, as we're talking here, it sounds like this 50% rule doesn't necessarily work that well as we expand out to the bigger properties because uh, the expenses are going to be a lot higher, um, potentially on the smaller properties, particularly on single families. Um, It works as a pretty decent first screen, but that's pretty much what it what it is. Nothing more. Well, you know uh, what, what I like to do is I, what I like the fifty percent rule for is is anything you know four units or smaller. I'll always run my numbers two ways. I always run them the the real way, right? I put them I put in all the numbers in like the rental property calculator or uh, just on a spreadsheet. The rental pro- what rental property calculator? Plug uh, plug. <laughs> yeah yeah. So like I will I'll run it through that or my own spreadsheet or on a piece of paper like on a napkin, right? Like just how much cash I'm going to get minus the expenses. Then I will also run it through the 50% rule in my head. And I want to take whatever's worse. Cause I assume like I want to be conservative in this. So I always do my calculations both ways and then pick the worse off one, assuming that at least then I'd be safe. So if, if I'm running a single family through single families typically aren't 50%, 50% 
50% expenses, but I'll still run them through that way just in case. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So let's, let's talk about this, this 2% rule um, in, in just a second. And I am going to say, because it's my, my show and I have the prerogative <laughs> to do so, the rental property calculator that Brandon's talking about, something we build here on Bigger Pockets. Go to biggerpockets.com slash calc. Uh, we've got a rental property calculator. We've got a, 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 a fix and flip calculator on there. Uh, check it out. It's a great tool uh, for folks who need something who don't have a, a really good Excel spreadsheet to kind of help them manage. Uh, well, but the, and I would even say, I mean, this sounds, I, I hate sounding like a commercial, but honestly, I swear, like as soon as we built the, because we built the, the rental property calculator off of like my spreadsheet, I have not used my spreadsheet one time since then because it's just easier to use the computer than it is to use a spreadsheet. I don't know. I well, just, spreadsheet is on a computer, though, Brandon. Yeah, but it's not a spreadsheet. Well, okay. It's <laughs> easier to use the calculator than it is a spreadsheet. All right, all right. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Move on. Well, anyway, it's great. Check it out, biggerpockets slash calc. Um, all right, so 2% rule. What is the 2% rule? Ben, you want it to me? All right, so 2% rule basically says uh, that... You should not pay, or you should you should try to pay uh, for a property. I, I'm guessing I'm saying this backwards. Let's say a property is worth a hundred thousand dollars. The rent should be two thousand dollars a month. It's two percent of whatever the the purchase price is. Right. The, the rent of the property should be two percent of the value. Yeah. Or the, the monthly Whether rent the times price. Correct. Yeah. So, so is that a, is that a good number to go by, or does that know, number ensure cash flow, or do, is that kind of another one of these semi safety nets? It, uh, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a term we call yield. Yield is, is, is the kind of the, the, the first degree of looking, the, the, the most bird's eye view of looking at the property. Yield is what it throws off. It's the gross revenue, okay? What the 2% rule says is that the gross revenue from the property, all income streams combined, should be 2% of what you pay for the property or of, of the value of the property. I like that rule because it's there's no ambiguities. I don't per se think of it as 2% rule, but I look at yield specifically because of what we talked about with the rents. I know my marketplace. I know how much I should pay for what rents. Brandon and I always talk about this. I know that if there's $500 of rents in this marketplace, because I know what sewer costs, I know what water costs, I know what garbage costs. I know what taxes run. I don't know specifically, but I know pretty well what they are. That means that I can look at a rental of $500 a month and know that if I pay $30,000 a door, I'll be fine. If, if it's $550 a month, I can pay maybe $40,000 a door. If it's $625 a month and I pay $40,000 a door, $40, a door, I'm doing great. So that's kind of the same concept as a 2% rule. I'm sure it will work out to pretty much 2%. Well, I paid 373.5 for the 10 units. And the gross income was 60 uh, 5800. So close. that's that's very close to the yeah. 2%. I mean, it it and it's it cash flows well. Well, uh, I want to ask something in that's really interesting that I I I think <laughs> The 2% rule, people often think, if, and we've even said on the show before, if you can get the 2% rule, you are going to cash flow. You are going to do really well. It's almost a guarantee that you're going to do really well. The sixplex that my friend tried to sell me a couple weeks ago, gross rents were $3,000 a month. 
the purchase price was 150,000, which means it perfectly met the, 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 the 2% rule. Like it, exactly. it perfectly met it. However, it didn't wait, work out. So like, yes, it's helpful. If you can say this is a 2% rule, it's a way to screen. That's the, when I'm looking at a hundred properties, I can run through each one of those in a matter of, you know, 10 seconds a piece. And over the course of a few minutes, I can look at a hundred properties and decide which ones I don't pursue. But when it really comes down to it, these are just rules of thumb because uh, if I would have followed it, I would have bought a bad property. Don't make a buying decision based upon one of these rules as right, the bottom right. line. Use it as a filter. Make sure if, if it gets close to it, if it's right around there, great. Then move to the next filter and run the numbers and find out what the true sure. numbers are. But, but Ben, really quick, I know you want to jump in here. Um, you, you know, we've kind of talked about you know what the sewer should be. You know what whatever should, but do you? So so and and I'm not saying this to kind of pick on you, but but I think it's an important distinction. So I you say, what's what's your sewer in your ten unit building? Two hundred dollars uh, a quarter. Two hundred something dollars. All a right. Quarter. So is two hundred dollars a quarter? Is eight hundred dollars a year? Is the sewer on a twenty unit going to be sixteen hundred dollars a year? Is it is it a multiple, or are you basing you know because you don't know you can't trust the numbers of the seller. So how do how do people figure this stuff out? Right, it's not the seller; it's the sewer; it's the the company. That's what I did so, on the sixplex. I called the city and asked them what the water sewer garbage bill was, and I was shocked at how high it right. was. I mean. Yeah. You, uh, when I say I know what it is, I know approximately what it is because I know this specific marketplace. For instance, I know on the 10 flex, I'm painting county, but on, on, on the five flex or a six flex, I'm paying the city. I know those numbers are going to be different, but I know what they are in each case approximately. You're looking at the hundred unit building. What do you, what do you go on? I mean, do, is, is this again, trust, but verify where, where do you get that information? Well, again, you determine whether or not to do research based on the numbers that you receive. Yeah. But the way you do research is certainly not by asking the seller. You ask the company, the provider. Can somebody just call up so I'm going to go and buy No, a somebody can't. You, you have to be under contract. You have okay. to, there has to be some kind of relationship whereby you can say, hey, I'm under contract to buy this building. Uh, can I find out this and that and the other? Unless you're in a small uh, town and you call the lady at the front desk like I did and sweet talk your way into her hey, telling you. Hey, it's Brandon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brandon, you look so handsome. <laughs> That's how well, we I roll. Heard you on the show. Well, Brandon owns his whole, his town, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah not quite. Not quite. But, uh, but so, so uh, there's nothing wrong with, oh, my point, nothing wrong with calling and asking. You never know what you might find out. It's not illegal to ask. Yeah, but it, it, no, it's not illegal to ask. But again, go into this whole knowledge of the marketplace. And I know that newbies that are listening to this are going like, holy crap. I mean, you know, I've never bought a unit, not here, not there, not anywhere. How am I supposed to know what those numbers are going to be? Uh, you know, I hate to tell you, uh, we can teach you all day long until you start taking action. You're not going to learn certain things. It's just a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can we can teach you all the formulas and we can teach you how to think about things. But, you know, we, we can't teach you certain things. Yeah. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, 
Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You, You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. All right. Well, trying to keep this thing uh, on, on schedule where I know, I know uh, Ben is trying to make this the longest Bigger Pockets podcast. <laughs> uh, my goal is to I'm stop. I'm competing and, with Surge. I'm competing with Surge, yeah. man. Yeah, uh, and citing uh, green eggs and ham is is a good way to doing it there, Ben. So let let's let's move on to uh, you know in our outline we've got the thirteen steps in in analyzing a property. So so let's start digging into those and and you know not that I want to gloss over it, but but uh, we're already uh, an hour into this sucker and and we got a long way to go. So let let's you got thirty seconds per per step, Ben. Let's be concise <laughs> and and see what we can do here. So step one. Research going cap rates. What what, is, what what does that mean? Uh, okay, what most people think of capitalization rate is a number that somehow represents the value of the building you're looking at. What people need to understand is capitalization rate 
represents the psychological behavior of the marketplace at large. It is, it is the answer to the question of what rate of return are the majority investors willing to deploy capital for in this marketplace for this particular building. Can well, you let say me, that? And I, and not, I like yeah, I was really gonna... dumb that down for us. Like, what is what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Um, okay, if I do a market analysis on 10 fourplexes um, and I realize that each one of them was bought at between 9 and 10 cap, then that tells me that a fourplex of this style, this quality, this age is going to be valued somewhere between a nine and a 10 cap. That's the behavior of the marketplace. What that gives me is two things. One, I now know what I have to do to beat the average return in the marketplace. And two, it gives me a starting point to analyze anything in this marketplace. What does that now, mean? What does that mean in terms of like I know what I have to do to beat the, the can you well, can you give us an example? Okay, so uh, take NOI of $1,000 a month. At a uh, $12,000 a year. At a 12 cap or a 10 cap, somebody would have to spend $120,000 to buy this building. Well, if most people are doing that, if most people are expecting to receive a, a, a 10 cap to receive an NOI consistent with a 10 cap against the purchase, then I know that if I pay consistent with an 11 cap, so if I pay less than 120, I'm ahead of the game. I just gained instant equity as far as the marketplace is concerned. Gotcha. So you're saying that if the average cap rate is X and you can buy the property basically at a discount, Right, and and that discount is being evaluated based upon the multiple that the the market is getting. That's right, and okay. that's part A. And part B, of course, is we buy property, and Brandon will tell you the same thing. We buy it because we hope for something we lovingly call expandability. We hope to take those rents of five hundred times four and get rents of five hundred and seventy-five times four. And we do that, hopefully, without increasing ongoing costs, without increasing operating costs. And if we can do that, then this, this whole increase flows through to our NOI. What do we hope? What, what, explain, that, the, the, what, explain that again in layman's okay, terms. Okay, so, you know, so, so I'm looking at a fourplex. I know that units like this should be renting for 600 but this one is rented for four hundred or five hundred dollars because the owner is out of town and is being managed by a broker and just you know whatever they're not they want consistent rent and they're not gonna hike rent on anybody. Yeah. Well, I analyze this property, I determine its current NOI, I place a valuation on it based on let's say I want to buy it for at at eleven cap or ten cap whatever, and I pay that amount. Now I start managing it, and since I knew before I bought that these units with a little upgrading can rent for $600, what I'm doing is creating $400 of extra income into the building. Yeah. Now, income is nice, but if it's offset with extra expenses, then at the end of the day, it means nothing. However, maybe I have to spend $15,000, just like Brandon did on his Waldo, 
but it's a one-time <laughs> it's a one-time expenditure, right? Yeah. It, it there's no monthly recurring cost associated with that. So it doesn't show up on the balance sheet on the income statement of the building. You spent the money, you know you did, but when the next guy or an appraiser or a buyer analyzes this building, there's no additional expense. So basically what they see is the income that you started out with plus an extra $400. So what they're doing is they're taking the 10 cap that is consistent with what people expect in this marketplace, and they're capitalizing a value based on a higher NOI. And what happens? You started out with $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year. At a 10 cap, even if you paid 10 cap, you paid $120,000. Right. Now that you improved the NOI by $400, now it's $1,400 a month times 12, whatever that's going to end up being, you know, 19000 or whatever, right? Yep. Not, not not even close. And that's <laughs> the value that you're going to pay. Get, get, Somebody get bust calculator. out a calculator. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, get your calculator. So, well, you're the one so, telling the numbers. Where's your calculator? Yeah, I wasn't told I'd be doing the numbers. I told to do, you know, just look pretty and be here. By the way, you look very nice with your jacket and, 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 you know, well, all, all, I, all I need are glasses and a goatee and I'll, I'll look just like the two of you. You know, uh, something to strive for. Well, Did you say 1,400 times 12? Four, 1,400 times 12. All right, so 16,800. 16, Capitalize the 10%. That gives you value of 168. So you paid 120 for this building. You spent 15 to get the NOI. To go up by four hundred dollars a month, thirty-two thousand so bucks. Right, you're into this at one hundred and thirty-five, but the building is now worth at the same ten cap. You're not asking anybody to pay a capitalization lower, resulting in a higher value than that which is the marketplace. Yeah. You are still working with the same capitalization rate as the marketplace. Now, I have to qualify all this. We're talking about small multiplex in here. And it doesn't quite work that way in a small multiplex because of them being residential properties like you started out in the beginning. Residential properties, SFRs, single family residence, duplex, triplex, fourplex are typically valued with what is called uh, comparable uh, market analysis. Comps. Comps. And they look at the solds and they make adjustments and they value them this way. That doesn't have anything to do with income. So while it's hunky-dory for us to talk about a triplex or a fourplex being creating this kind of, you know, it, it, it does and it doesn't. When you get up to 10, 20, 30, these are investor purchases. Investors are buying these things because of income. So income is key to everything. Yeah. They, they determine how much to pay based on income. Yeah which is different from a duplex, triplex, fourplex. So we have to make that distinction that while for us as investors, yeah, we have to know what we're doing and it works the same way with a fourplex as it does with a 400 unit apartment community. But in reality, if you were to go to a bank and say, hey, my building is worth more now, can I refinance and pull some money out? And they say, sure, we'll send the appraiser out. That appraiser is going to place there. They will look at the income, although they will use the GRM formulas, uh, gross rent multiplier. If if you want, we can talk about that. Um, 
basically the, 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 the younger brother of, of capitalization rate. But um, they will look at income, but fundamentally, they're still looking at how can I justify? Has anybody bought a fourplex for this and that? Yeah. Can I make adjustments upward because the rents are higher a little bit? It's better quality. You've done some upgrades, things like that. But it's it's difficult proposition in a small multifamily. To get to to put what Ben just talked about for I don't know how long he was talking um, <laughs> in, into terms that you'd understand. <laughs> Basically, you you can use these cap rates in in five plus units, but in in a four and under, it's not. You can't. You know, raising the rent by X isn't going to necessarily increase the value unless you've done some additional work than just raise the numbers up. So yeah, my that, triplex is only going to be worth what the other triplex in the area sold for. Not yeah. no matter how much income I raise on it, it's not going to be worth much more. So, but your explanation was very good. I yeah, just, and your your triplex. The other problem with it is that it's Waldo. <laughs> it's a single family. <laughs> no, seriously, that's an issue. It's not quite. It's not quite. I know you called? say that. What is that called? There's a word that describes it's, it. it. It's a non-conforming. Building. Yeah, it wasn't the electrical wasn't run for to accommodate three separate units. The plumbing wasn't. The foundation was built to accommodate a single family structure. It, it, you know, it, it, it the, the valuating process is very like that. I know. I agree. I agree. We we can we you know we've debated this a lot on the blog, and so we won't rehash it we'll, totally we'll here. But, up, but yeah, you know, yeah. Well, but. I will say that it may have been built as a triplex originally because, I mean, it's got full height ceilings in the basement. It's a daylight basement. It's off the ground. The other one's 12 feet in the air. It's, I mean, the, but, the main but, house. But, but, but anyway. They put horses <laughs> in the basement when they built it. <laughs> it wasn't meant for people. You never right. know. You never know. All right, All right moving on. Let's, that was like let's, a ha- half hour, ter- 30 that was, seconds yeah, that turned was into a, like a half hour. Exactly. Wait, All right. Now you've got 10 on. seconds. You have 10 seconds for the next 13 <laughs> steps. So. All right. Next uh, uh, step number two. Oh, by the way, these came from your, uh, I stole these all, Ben, from your uh, your Kindle book, The 13 Ways to Value a Multiplex. So uh, if people do want to learn more, you can, I don't know, go to the show notes and get Ben's book for whatever, two bucks or whatever it does on Amazon. So we're moving on. All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Research, Research the soci- socioeconomic dynamics. What does that mean? Okay. What that means is that if you're buying a fourplex with four two-bedroom units, and you're buying it in a neighborhood whereby predominantly people living there and wanting to live there are retirees who only need a less expensive unit by and large with one bedroom, then whatever value you think you're getting, you have to discount for the fact that a two-bedroom unit that's more expensive is going to be tough to rent. Gotcha. Because in this particular neighborhood, that's not by and large what people want. The same applies if you buy one-bedroom units with you know young professionals having one child you know what are they going to do with the one bedroom i would agree for the most part i mean like obviously we don't need to obviously spend too much time on this but i do want to bring up somebody asked me the other day they sent a private message to me and said you know i'm thinking about buying this property however it's studio apartments and i'm concerned that this area doesn't have a huge demand for studio apartments and the area was like tacoma washington which is you know hundreds of thousands of people so i told him yeah it may not be the biggest demographic for studio apartments, but they will always be a, a person who wants to rent a studio apartment. Like 
I mean, so to a degree, I mean, yes, you need to take that into account, but it's not like his his duplex is going to be sitting vacant for six months a year just because he's got a studio instead of a uh, instead of a two bedroom, which most people want. Well, it might, it, it might though. It, it very it, well. It might. Yes, I agree with Josh. I would have recommended them to stay away because, again, we are looking to open up our market. We're not necessarily looking to niche ourselves out. It, that's dangerous unless you're at the, the, you're Donald Trump, you're at the very top of the market, and you're dealing in a totally different demographic. That's a completely different game. Well, See, I, I, well and I'm going to disagree with you on that, and that, <laughs> that goes back to the last show, a good friend of yours, Serge, Serge yeah. Shukat, and the show was phenomenal. So show 60, uh, biggerpockets.com slash show 60, if you haven't heard it. It it's was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Was phenomenal. Uh, one of our best shows. Uh, we had, we've had over 20,000 listens in less than a week. Um, insane. Uh, but But... You know, we we talked about building a niche and and being an expert in that niche. But so I think just because we talked about it doesn't mean it's true. But 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 the point being, you know, if you can become an expert in what people desire, which does go along with what you're talking about, and become the niche player who differentiates yourself from everybody else uh, in 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 a way where you've got that super superhero advantage, so to speak. Uh, you're going to then uh, thrive, whereas everybody else is fighting for the same three twos uh, that they're all fighting for. What do you say about that, Ben? That's that's true up to a point. I mean, the, the fact the fact of the matter is that look, your tenants can do a lot more with a two bedroom. They can do that. They can do with a studio. A studio apartment is going to work for one specific type of a person. If you want to be looking and appealing to that specific demographic, fine. But understand, nobody that's married with a child, not too many people who are young professionals who need an office space. Not, you know, you are just, you're plugging yourself out of a bunch of demographics. This is why I don't like one bedrooms because a two bedroom, you can have, uh, you know, a, a married couple with a child. You can have two unmarried people. You can have roommates, specifically, you know, in college towns. You can have a person with a TV room, a retiree with a TV room. You are appealing. Right. You're giving yourself a bunch of exits. And as far as I'm concerned, investing is about options. I think you're right. I'm, yeah, I'm not, and, I, I, and I agree. I, I think on a large scale, it's exactly, you're perfectly exactly right. I just think like if you're trying to buy a duplex and there's a studio, don't not buy a duplex because there's a studio apartment there. If the numbers work out, you're not, it's not going to be impossible to find one person to rent your studio apartment. That, that was my, sure. my gist to him sure. is don't. But like I could tell you, last week I looked at a uh, apartment community that was 70% one bedroom units. Yeah, I didn't see, even that, look that, at it. Yeah, exactly. That's just stupid. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can't, what am I going to do with that? Yeah. Cause that'll drop your averages over like year after year, which is tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, right. maybe even millions right. because of that. Yeah. So I, I agree right. on a big scale, but anyway, we got to move on. Yeah. So number, <laughs> number, number three on this is, is research availability and makeup of units, which, which I think is really part of number two on the socioeconomic right. dynamics. I think they kind of go hand in hand. You, you, you know, now, now, as as a quick note to to those people listening, even though you're buying a property, uh, these multi, you know, uh, say you're you're looking at two bedroom uh, units. Keep in mind, while you're opening your options, you may not 
advertise these units as family friendly. You cannot, you have to be very, very careful on the marketing side of things because there are laws in place that say you cannot. Uh, there are, there are yeah. HUD laws, fair housing laws, uh, you know, licensees. We know about those. This is why, you know, I don't like three bedrooms. Why? Because three bedrooms accommodate larger number of people. Yep. Do I want larger number of people in terms of maintenance of my unit, wear and tear? Do I want? I don't, but I can't turn away somebody because they have one more child than what I think is reasonable. It's not up to me to decide well, what's how many children are there. Just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just curious, though, because you I know, have, I mean, how, many, how, many, how many is reasonable? Let's, let's hear that, What's, and what's and the that, number? And that, <laughs> I, 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 I want to know because but you know I have I have three I, kids and I don't know if that's unreasonable. I'm just curious: is that number unreasonable? Listen, listen, I'll tell you something. I wouldn't <laughs> let you. I wouldn't let you into one of my units not because, of kids, because of you. So what's but, the number? No, I'm just. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Though? We're, we're, I, I got. We got to move on. Let, moving on. Let the property itself yes. qualify and disqualify. Because you can't do it. You can't legally do it. You can get into a lot of trouble. But but you know what? And and you made a really good point there. Yeah, I know we're we're busting each other's balls here, but but you know, when you said you wouldn't rent to me, you didn't mean you don't you wouldn't rent to me the the white guy who's who's <laughs> this, 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 all my all my demographics. You wouldn't rent to me because you think I'm a jerk. And and that's okay. <laughs> That is okay. You don't have. You're allowed to not rent to somebody because you think they're a jerk. You're allowed to not rent to somebody because you know they've got tattoos on their. There's knuckles. a there's a line in uh, Mike Butler's Landlord and an Autopilot book that it was like my favorite line from the book said, "Dirty is not a protected class." And exactly. I love that line. Yeah, exactly. jerk, and, jerk and, is and, not and, a protected class. Smoking is yep. not a protected class. Yep. Uh, anything to do with illicit drugs is not a protected class. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like people and I think we have to, if we're going to be in this business, we have to be able to deal with people. We have to like people and we have to, you know what? The important thing is we have to believe in basic goodness of people, although we get burned every day. Yeah. But, and, but, and, and, and just really quick, I think, and the reason I brought that up was it's important that a people understand protected classes, but B that they understand that there are a lot of segments that are not protected and it's perfectly within your rights. And, and in fact, as, as a landlord, you want to make sure to screen out undesirable types of tenants. And that's right. not based on race, on sex, on gender, on any of that right. stuff. So yeah. do your homework. We've got a ton of articles on that stuff on Bigger Pockets. If you don't know it, if you don't understand it, you better do. You better know it before you start renting to people, because you can a get yourself in a lot of legal trouble for screwing that up, and b you could get yourself in a lot of financial trouble for screwing it up. Correct. And let me let me just add one more thing. Uh, we talked early on. We talked about desirability, and the important thing, and this is what I keep telling people: the important thing is you have to balance what's good for the tenant with what's good for you. I'll give you an example. A two-bedroom duplex would be very nice if it had two bathrooms. You know, for people. It people would use bathrooms, that's right. Yes, right? people right? and cats. They, they, they like that. <laughs> shut up, Judd. <laughs> it's the first but, time I've been told to shut up on my podcast. <laughs> but on my end as a landlord, that's two sets of plumbing I have to clean up. 
that's two sets of faucets that when they start to drip, I have to worry about replacing faucets. That's two sets of toilets I have to lift in order to replace wax rings. Well, those are, so, hold on, those are two sets that you hire a guy like Brandon to do because you correct. don't do that stuff yourself. <laughs> that's correct. I don't but do I toilets to anymore. Him. So I have to pay him. So my operating expenses, because of the two bathrooms, go up over time, CapEx. No two ways about it. Yeah. No are, you saying, are you saying you wouldn't do a two bathroom then? Or if it. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but it would have to justify itself in rent. Okay, and good. Yep. frankly, I, I look at a two bedroom, one bath that I can rent for $650. And the question I ask myself I know you are very nice tenants and you would love to have two bathrooms because, you know, you, you can, your wife can have one and you can have one. I get it. How much more are you willing to pay? And they're going to say to me, 25 bucks. And I'm going to say to them, it's not worth it to me to provide you with that kind of comfort for $25 a month. Yep. Because I'm going to spend more than that in the long run, worrying about the plumbing and, 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 and the extra electrical and the fan and the ceiling and all of that stuff. So, so the rent has to justify those two bathrooms. Nice. Right. And th- even then, even if I can get much more money still, I'm thinking because I'm looking for as much passivity as possible in all this. So how many moving parts do I want? It, it really has to be worth my while to, to get into something like two bathrooms, yep. right? I mean, it really has to be worth my while. Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, this works a little different in SFR because just single family, single family, it works differently. But in an apartment setting, you know, it, it, it just, you know, if you, if you take 100 apartments and you extrapolate it by two and a half bathrooms, you got a lot of plumbing to worry about, yep. yeah. you know, and yep. if, if people are okay with one and a half, one down, one up, hey, you know, that's, that's good enough for me. I'll lose the extra $50 because in the long run, in rent a month, because in the long run, it's going to be a lot less active, a lot more passive. I have to do less managing yep. this thing. You know, it costs me less in CapEx. So I think it's important. I, and that's one of those perspectives that newbies, uh, you know, we were talking in the beginning, they wouldn't have. Yeah. Because they look at two units and they, they, you know, they see one with one bathroom and one with two bathrooms. And they think, that's great. I would love to have two bathrooms. My tenants would love to have two bathrooms. But until you've owned property for a decade and you know how much it costs to have two bathrooms as opposed to one, you don't gain that perspective. And I think that's why it's just helpful to have, you know, conversations like this and why this podcast is, you know, why I'm I'm pretty obsessed with it is because we get to hear from guys like you who can explain those things and we don't have to go through 10 years of owning that bathroom to know those. So thank you. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> all right. Nice transition, Brandon. Thanks. 10 seconds apiece. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next one. Great. This one's this one would be an easy one. Research going rents. What does that mean? Yeah, Step well, four. That's, that's that yield, right? So you look at the fourplex and you see you see four rents of 500, uh, $2,000 of yield. And that's pretty right on to you because you know two bedrooms in this unit, in, in, in units like this in this location, should rent for, you know, 475, 495, 500, 515, five and a quarter, somewhere in there. Okay. So you're like, oh, good. It's, it's what we talked in the beginning about. All right, uh, well, well, sub- what about something actionable? How can somebody actionably check a... Call the numbers. Very good. Uh, I mean, that's everybody how you check talks about everybody talks about. Oh, it makes sense to have the MLS. It makes sense, you know, to have a license because you know I can know this. I call, pick up the phone. If you're too afraid to call, too intimidated to call the number, the forensic sign, 
<laughs> to go in there and to check it out. Funny story about that. The right business. I call numbers a lot of times and just for fun, just I, I always use like an English accent when I, <laughs> when I call people and ask them like how much a unit's for rent. I, I just think it's funny to do because I don't, nobody expects a British person in, in the middle of, you know, Hick, Washington yeah. to, to be calling about a property. So anyway, yeah. Verify. So, I would just call the numbers I, on the front signs. I can't do that because I can't hide my accent. Let, let's, <laughs> let, let's hear it, Brandon. Let's hear the voice. I, I'm not going to try here. No, that's that's too embarrassing. <laughs> Step number five, research. <laughs> type of building. Research the type of building. There, There's various types of, of apartment buildings available, correct? I mean, we're, we're not just talking, you know, I mean, high rise and low rise. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, there are good apartment buildings and then there are Waldo's. <laughs> okay, can you explain to me what in hell is a wall? I mean, like I know how you're defining it with this guy, but where, is it is it from the little guy with the red and white hat? Okay, is that okay, the Waldo? Okay. I mean, okay, where, okay. where do we come up with this? It's just something that sticks out. It's 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 kind of like a sarcastic take on the opposite of what Waldo really is, which is he gets lost and this thing sticks out like a sore thumb, right? So here's the deal. Yeah, if somebody did an addition onto your building. Let's say you had a house and they didn't, or they subdivided it into a triplex. What are the chances they didn't pull permit? If they didn't pull permit, has their work, had it been checked out when they completed? If it wasn't checked out, then are you running a greater chance that you are walking in to uh, some lemons? Absolutely. You now here, here's where that in any other way. Here's where we get we we disagree, and I we we just rehash this all the time, right? But real quickly, this is where we disagree. I you say can just if agree you're, with me, and we, you know, be all <laughs> you, you say you're wrong. You're, you say if you're a newbie, you should not do this. You even said it in that in that post. You said Brandon will do really well at Waldo because I can handle those things. I can handle the extra ten thousand that I've spent on plumbing because I've you know I'm experiencing this. So you say newbie shouldn't do it. I actually go the other way and I say newbie should do it. As long as you can, you know, reasonably, you got to have some kind of leeway to be able to afford those big messes. But honestly, this sounds maybe terrible and people are going to yell at me for saying this. If a newbie would have bought that and put that $10,000 on credit card just to pay for those extra repairs, I still would say do it. Because here's why I say that. Because the experience they would gain from that, it's far worth more than that $10,000 would cost them. That's why I say it. Because... I, you would learn so much off buying Waldo that whether or not it became the best investment, it's better than not buying anything. That's my well, theory. Well, there's okay, and and I, I I think I think you have somewhat of a very 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 small point <laughs> located in there. Uh, you there's know, a lot of, of contingencies. There's a lot of contingencies, right? If you're a guy who's got a million dollars in the bank and you buy Waldo for fifty thousand dollars. And you put ten grand, and you lose ten grand. Okay, it's it's a learning lesson. But if you're somebody who's working their butts off at a full time job, and you're trying to do this, you can't afford to lose the ten thousand dollars. You can because your ten thousand drops to two thousand when you spend your nights and weekends fixing that plumbing yourself, like I do. Oh God! Now no. I know this is where you disagree yeah. with me, but this is what got me to where I am, and so I I can't knock what got me to where I am, and like I, so I people will, but, people will but, sit in their couch when they're sixty. But you're encouraging people to go through the hell that you've gone through to get where you are I, I when they don't have to. I'm encouraging them to do something. 
And well, too that, many and people will be sitting on their couch when they're 65 and they'll be like, man, I wish I would have done something. And they won't. Now, if they can do without but doing don't that, do great. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the things you can do, baby. See, I, I think they should. I mean, I just think like, I obviously don't buy a bad deal, but this was not a bad deal. This was an amazing deal in a good location that had some unknowns like the plumbing. But, you know, you, you just roll with the punches, make it work. You know, That's my I, theory. I, I, I stay by what I, by, by, <laughs> we by will, what I said. We'll agree to disagree. You will do very well at that because you are able to do the plumbing. But I, I only did some you, of the plumbing. I hired the I rest out. I got to tell you, hang on. An email I received two days ago uh, from a woman who read up about me, knows my circumstance. And the first statement in the email was, I'm living your nightmare. She is not able to work. She, at, at a young age, became disabled. And she's looking into real estate as a way of helping to offset some of the burden from her husband, who is the only one working at the moment. Are you going to recommend that person to buy Waldo? I would recommend that person. Now, again, it's different for everybody. But I would recommend that person, yes, to buy Waldo, but that might be after making their husband work a part-time job delivering pizzas for six months to save up 20 grand as a reserve fund to buy Waldo. That's what I would, I, I don't care what they do, but you got to hustle. And that's a way I hustle by doing plumbing. If somebody can hustle by delivering pizzas or by and, getting and a partner to buy that property that could afford that, I don't care what the listen, hustle is. They got to hustle. Listen, the thing of it is, is the thing of it is, is your talent is worth very considerably more than the pay that you are receiving for your hustle. I keep telling you that because I love you and you're friends. I, I, I actually agree with Ben here, by the way. And, and, and you think you are doing yourself a favor? You are not. You could be spending your time in terms of both dollars and personal fulfillment doing something else and being much farther, I think, in than where you are with Waldo. And and that thing is just, you know, and you have other startup that you're <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. And I wouldn't recommend to anybody that it would be that way. I just I just wouldn't. I just yeah. can't. And I think I, I think that just I think this is helpful for people to hear both sides of it. Cause I mean, I'm not necessarily, I'm not changing my opinion. And I don't know if I ever will, and, but I understand exactly where you're coming from, but I want people to like, know that I guess like it got me to where I am today. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy with where I am today with rental wise. So well, I can't knock a, what I've done. I'm going to cut you off here. Go and we got to move we're on. Gonna, yeah. We're going to move on. But before we do, I'm going to just con- kind of consolidate the argument here. And, and here, here's what Brandon's saying. Uh, take away the details. What Brandon is saying is get off your backside and do something. He's saying you gotta, you, you can't just, you know, uh, uh, um, th- you know, think forever and, and analyze and analyze and analyze. At some point you got to kind of get in, get a little bit of dirty. There's something and, wrong with every property. That's right. The, and I think Ben is going to agree that that's the truth because otherwise, you know, you're going to be 65 and you're never going to have done something. So, you know, it's real estate is dirty. Problems will come. You will experience them. You will have to learn how to deal with problems. Moving on. God, uh, yeah, yeah. What do I need you guys for? All right. Step That's five. Six. We did that. Six. <laughs> we did that. Step six. Reach your re- research vacancy factor. Yeah. So, ten, ten seconds, Ben. 
this, why, this why, why, why don't you do it? I can't do 10 seconds. Sorry. <laughs> what is, right, what, the vacancy factor is the rate by which you're going to make a general, you're, you're going to make an assumption that the, this property is going to have X amount of vacancy every year, correct? Sure. Okay, so how do you research? I mean, I mean, your building is going to be vacant at some point. Your unit yeah. is going to be vacant at some point. You're just making a guesstimation of how often. Right. So how do you so guess that if you don't know? How do you property? get that information? Well, personally, I have a friend who owns 600 units. And when I want to know what the vacancy rate is in this subdivision or that subdivision, guess who I ask? And pretty much with that many units, yep. you are setting the market. You know exactly what it is. So... How do you get access to these people? We don't even have a RIA. So I can't say go to your RIA and talk to people, although it's probably a good idea. But in Lima, we don't have RIA. You have to pick up the phone, which goes back to if you want to fly, you got to hang with people who fly. So where do you find people who fly with real estate? Uh, <coughs> bigger, pockets. <laughs> bigger pockets. Bigger pockets. <laughs> But it's very important to be market specific, guys. I mean, you were talking about bigger pockets. Hearing what vacancy rates in California is going to do exactly nothing yep. for me in Lima, Ohio. Yeah, it just it doesn't do anything for me. And you're right. You're right. Absolutely. But that's and, where- in, in in principle we can agree on what it means. But in reality, in order to understand the market behavior, I have to know locally what it is and. You know, you ask an appraiser, you ask a commercial banker, you can ask a commercial banker what the going cap rate is, uh, or an appraiser. You can ask uh, them what the GRM is. You can ask them a lot of things, and it's their job. They're getting paid to know this. Do you recommend calling up a property management company to ask them the vacancy rate? Or do you think they'll be too peachy because they want to sell you something? No, I would recommend, in fact, I do this now, Somebody that manages a thousand units. Yeah, a professional property management. A brokerage that manages SFRs and duplexes and and a few units, you're not really going to get a fair representation of what it is anyhow. You got to talk to somebody. And the drawback is that they're not going to take your business. Unless you're bringing them a syndicated 120 unit, they don't want your fourplex. Yeah. And you couldn't afford them in in the first place. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. So th- th- that's great. Uh, really quick, you know, you you say real estate is local, and and I've uh, I've got to defend us some way, <laughs> shape, or form. A, you are correct, a thousand percent. I agree completely. Real estate is completely local, and that's why we have tools on Bigger Pockets to let you network locally with a lot of people. Our find users page lets you look in your zip code to see other people. Uh, BiggerPockets.com/meet. Uh, we got a lot of tools on there that let you do that for that very purpose because we want people to be networking and getting that information, doing business together, helping each other out to be successful. Um, and uh, so, you know, yes, in the case when there's not a RIA, you know, you, you might be able to use us, but but there are plenty of other ways that that you talked about to to find other folks. Yeah. Um, n- next section of this, and and w- we really got to fly on this is. <laughs> Uh, ben, Ben, you're winning the battle against us. He's a Darth Vader over here. <laughs> like the the dark side is crushing us. Uh, the analysis of income uh, and expenses and value calculations and, and, and looking good doing it. Too. <laughs> if you do say so yourself, right? <laughs> if I do say so myself. Yeah. All right. So so step seven is research and verify gross income. We we talked about gross income. How do we research and verify it? 
Well, gross income is add all your rents together. If you have a, a laundromat facility on premises, you can't really know how much it makes, but you can guesstimate how many tens do you have? How much laundry do they do? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but by and large, what I'm talking about is what does a two-bedroom, one-bath unit in a 1960 construction brick duplex with a garage go for in your neck of the woods? You need to know that in this particular neighborhood. I know that. I know that over here in you know this area is going to be between six and six fifty, depending on condition. But in that area, it's going to be between seven twenty-five and eight. I know those things, and I have to know those things in order to be an effective landlord. What if there aren't reasonable? You know, I, I, this is the issue that that people have on comps. What if there aren't reasonable comp uh, properties in the area that are of similar make, model, age, so on and so forth? How do you go about doing it then? Then. I guess Don't you just <laughs> have to stay away because then you're talking about a Waldo. Makes sense. It's and an outlier would, at that point. Okay. Right. Fair right. enough. And, and the problem with that is selling it because nobody wants an outlier. Yeah. That's just human psyche. You know, we don't want an outlier. Unless it's cash we're, flowing at like $1,200 a month on, on Waldo if, and if you all fixed up. Cash flow. Yes. If you understand <laughs> cash flow, if you understand, if you're an experienced investor, if you are Brandon, how many Brandons are in the marketplace? You're talking about a triplex, which is a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. If you guys are fighting on this freaking property, <laughs> we're not I'm, fighting every about time, that. Every no, time no, no, we no. go there, I'm, I'm just serious. Cut, I'm, cut, cut. Next question. I, I'm serious. The whole point, uh, listen to this. This is an important point. The whole point of buying under four units is that you can sell it to a homeowner occupant. And that's yeah. what I'll do with Waldo someday. I mean, because it's a four-bedroom house with uh, two extra units. I'll sell it to a homeowner who wants a beautiful, big, huge house, and they will pay extra because it's got those extra income units. That's my exit strategy someday. Well, nobody's going to buy for the beautiful, big house that wants a beautiful, big house and two extra income units that they have to then convert to be part of the, the extra well, they big won't. house no, unless they, they want to have their tenants living That's what they want. The they want. They want income property because they'll live for free. They'll buy the thing for 150 from me and they'll, their tenants will pay their entire mortgage. That's well, my exit strategy. As long as that's an exit strategy that I mean, you have lined up. I don't have an issue with it. Ben does, but it's that's one, Ben. No, 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 I don't. That's exactly it. That's why you buy four units instead of five. Yep, because exactly. a four unit will qualify for a regular person with a regular 30-year mortgage. A five unit will not. Yep. And so the, the added bonus of having a duplex, triplex, fourplex is that you can sell it to an investor or you can sell it to an owner-occupant who's going to live in one unit. So it opens up your market. Well, The, pro- the problem is, is that if what you are buying is cash flowing great, but for one reason or another, it's not going to be appealing to an owner-occupant. Then you are destroying the, the whole segment of desirability that was supposed to be present in this deal, yep. and it's now not present. My concern with Waldo in general, quote-unquote, is that there are aspects of it that are going to disqualify it as a desirable acquisition for a homeowner. 
Gotcha. And, and if it, that's the case, you got a problem. And if you saw it, you you would change your mind. You got to fly out to Washington. But anyway, and moving I, on. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kindly moving ask on. my co-host and my guest. <laughs> We're not mentioning to refrain anymore. from talking about Waldo going <laughs> forward, so we can actually get the show done before people are are, are I don't know. Oh, yeah, no more. Just right. okay, come on, okay, see okay, it. No more. All right, number no eight. More. Research and verify operating costs. How do you do that? Okay, and that's one of those things where you call the garbage company and find out yep. for a for a four unit building how much they would charge you to have four bins or you know whatever. You need to kind of have an idea. You call the electric company and you find out what approximately usage to expect on an apartment of you know eight hundred square feet that's heated with baseboard and and you know what what's typical. Yep. So it's it's a little bit of work. But it's work that has to be done because, yeah, we need to verify what information is given to us in specifics. But before you even place an offer, you set foot into this thing or you even drive up to this forefront. You kind of have to know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yep. Hey, I, I've got a, I've got a really, really quick uh, follow up on, on this. And that's, you know, the, the debate of, of, uh, um, uh, as a landlord paying utilities versus not in the last show. And, and I do want to keep it brief, but in the last show, we, we talked about, you know, submetering things like that for, for some of the utilities, um, which, which makes sense in certain cases. But in, in other cases, you know, you really, if the market says you're paying uh, the, the rent, if you're paying utilities for your, your uh, tenants, then you're paying utilities for your tenants. Is there a, uh, uh, is 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 there you know how, how do we go and discover this information? Uh, well, this tenplex, for instance, was individually metered for water, and yet the the seller was including water with rent. Well, with it being individually metered, I wasn't going to do that. Yeah, uh, because I called the water company and I I saw the bills from the property that I requested as part of my due diligence process. And I knew that the bills are going to run between, you know, twelve and twenty dollars a month. Well, that's important. Why? Because twenty dollars a month times ten units is two hundred dollars a month. Times twelve is twenty four hundred dollars a year. At ten percent capitalized, that's a value of twenty four thousand dollars that he was giving away, and I wasn't about to give away. Yeah. Now, the, so the next question is. Am I going to accrue a bunch of vacancies? Because now I go in and tell everybody that, guess what, party is over, and you got to pay your own water. Maybe, maybe not. That's where you have to know your marketplace yeah. and what people will and will not do for this kind of unit in this location for this kind of building. Is there any kind of, is there a standard, is, the, is kind of the last question, uh, you know, when you hit, Say fifty and over units, uh, fifty units and more. You know, are you are landlords generally paying for these? Not paying for these? Is there? There's no general across the board, is there? We we never want to pay utilities. Correct. That's that's a blanket statement, right, yeah. Brandon? I mean, we never want to pay utilities. I mean, poor guy spending a thousand dollars a month. Let's stop picking garbage. on Brandon. God, <laughs> well, no, man. no, but he posted that yeah. in a thread. I know. <laughs> Yeah, we could go. Right? All, I mean, we could spend forever on that, but yeah, I mean, we talked about it last week quite a bit too. And I mean, if we can avoid paying expenses, obviously that's the best. But sometimes, like when you buy them, especially like you're kind of forced to do whatever the building was set up for. 
And well, that's exact. We're coming back to that. And so then maybe you shouldn't buy it in the first place. Correct. There you when go. you are converting a single family where the systems were designed to uh, be uh, uh, single family, right? <laughs> All right. I never said the word. Yeah, you didn't have to. <laughs> Step nine, assess the NOI. We talked about NOI earlier. How are we assessing the NOI? Gross income minus operating costs. Fabulous. <laughs> Step, Step 10. 10. <laughs> assess that's cash flow. Uh, NOI minus the cost of money, and this is a function of how you're going to finance it. So if you're going to pay all cash, you won't have cost of money, and your cash flow basically is your NOI at that point. I w- uh, oh, go, go ahead. So I, I, I was going to ask, uh, there, there's <clears throat> an argument that, that I've seen when you, when you value a, a, a property, you know, well, it's not even an argument. Uh, when you value a property, you know your your debt service is that something that you include in the numbers, or is or do you calculate the property based upon one hundred percent financing? Because I know a lot of people will go ahead and say, okay. "Well, always go that way because that's going to you know give you a, a certain type of right. uh, response." You know, so that would be me in a small multiplex. You should always kind of imagine you're going to finance it one hundred percent. And look for cash flow a hundred dollars a door. That's yeah. kind of uh, yeah. a rule of thumb, at least with possibilities to drive it up. Yeah. The more kind of scientific way of looking at it, something called DSCR. Sometimes they call it DCR, debt service coverage ratio, and and that's what the banks use. And basically, what that says is they look at your net operating income, which is your income, gross income minus all of your expenses. They take that number and then they juxtapose it against your mortgage payments, your cost of money. Basically, they're trying to see how easily you're going to make your mortgage. This is for their safety. So, for instance, if your NOI is you know, $1,200 a month and your mortgage is $1,000 a month, well, that tells them that the only thing left for cash flow after you pay your mortgage is 200 bucks on this building you know, that's 1.2 ratio debt service coverage. That's not enough. And most banks now, it used to be we had a bubble. It used to be they would give out money at 1.1. As long as you're making 10% more than your mortgage payments, they would finance the deal. Of course, we know how that turned out. So nowadays, most banks won't do anything under 1.25. And for a newbie, I would tell them 1.4, 1.5, 1.6, just to be safe. Of course, Brandon on on his triplex is getting like, you know, two or or above two. That's an anomaly kind of situation that he's generating very high cash flow. He's paying with his time and his labor. So if you're willing to do that. Uh, what? Look at that. <laughs> Number 11. Capo- wow, well, this is, I mean, yeah. we're having a real hard time here following instructions, <laughs> Ben Leibovich. Step 11. He's, he's, very jealous, he's very jealous of W-A-L-D-O. Yeah, apparently we, he is. Step 11. <laughs> Capitalized value. Well, Brandon, you want to take that? I feel put on the spot. <laughs> this, this is based upon yeah this is based I'm, on your I'm stuff I'll let, you, I'll let you take it you take the NOI and you apply whatever capitalization rate 
and you arrive at a valuation. So let's we had say talked about these with, the, with a few examples. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So, so we don't we don't need to to rehash that. Um, okay. All right. Step uh, step twelve. Adjust for physical condition, liens, and management. Right. And so, like you, this is this is kind of looking at those numbers and saying, okay, I have this building. How easy is it going to be to manage it? Well, if it's going to be a pain, then I'm going to want it to reflect in how much I pay for it. So I'm going to want to pay less for it, right? Because there's got to be a trade-off of some sort. Yeah. If, if I'm buying this thing and I know that within 18 months, I will be replacing a roof and it's going to cost me six grand. Well, you know, I probably want to reflect that in the purchase price to adjust the purchase price. So even though the numbers right now, see the number, that's the problem with the numbers. The numbers, that's a snapshot. Here's this building. Here's a snapshot. Five minutes later, something else is going to happen. Yeah. And so that's where you have to have perspective that comes with time and owning buildings and, and all of that to take those numbers and then to extrapolate what they mean and, and in reality over time. And, and, and that's I, really what the step is about. And and I think that's where a, a lot of newbies also really really blow it be, because it's very easy to say, hey, here's the numbers today. I got you know A, B, and you know I got these units filled. Everything looks great, and I'm getting kind of a deal. Uh, they don't see the capex. They don't see all the maintenance that comes with these these multifamilies or even with a single family property. You know they don't look at the roof and they don't calculate that in and you know, uh, extrapolate that over, over time and, and what that's going to do to your, your, uh, your NOI. You know, you've got to include all these things, uh, all, all these maintenance items into your valuations be, because, uh, you, you know, if, if you assume everything's peachy, you, you're, you're, you're going to be in for a, a lot of trouble as, as things go along when your first AC gets stolen or broken or the roof falls apart or the walls crack or whatever the heck happens. You know, this, this whole conversation, I, ha- I have a mentor. His name is Ted. I learned a lot of things. From did he him. try and sell you a really shitty deal? Oh, did I say shitty? Whoops. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He didn't. But one of the things he told me that stuck a long time ago is he said, Stumbling blocks and stepping stones look very much alike at first. And so what this podcast is really all about is getting past that at first. This entire conversation of take the numbers. That's the snapshot. Now, how do you get past that? What's the perspective to get past the numbers to understand is this really a stepping stone to, to get you from here to there? Or, or are you going to pay for it in some way, shape, or form that you don't know yet? Yeah. That's, that's what this conversation is all about. That, wow. That's, that's really deep. I didn't realize that was what I was talking about for the past. <laughs> is it two hours? Wow. Tick, tick, tick. Time is ticking. Step 13. We got to finish I, it up. I, I do agree, by the way. Yes, and I like the quote from your mentor. I'm going to make that a tweetable topic on this show. So, yeah, I I, I advise finding mentors like uh, Ben's Ted. versus Ted 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 as opposed to one who's going to. <laughs> 
No, actually, let me. And I, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. No, let me actually say what's wrong here. You you mentioned Ben. Like, remember I said earlier, I didn't think my friend actually knew he was losing money. Like, I don't actually think right. he lost money because he was even an experienced landlord. He's experienced at this. I don't think he realized it because he wasn't accounting for the capex and the vacancy and the repairs. But when I put all those numbers into the equation, he was losing money. So in his mind, he just thought, you know, income minus the water bill minus the insurance and taxes, there's my profit. And so that that's even uh, experienced guys are guilty of the same thing. So yeah, but but that is the whole point of this show, I think. Yeah, you know, in, in looking back over what we've 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 kind of bloviated over over and over and over, it you know the 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 property is not a snapshot. You know, there's more there's more to it than just that 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 singular picture that you're going to get, and you've got to understand that. And if you don't understand that. You know, you're going to experience it at some point and it's going to hit you. And, and again, not, you know, not to disparage, you know, Brandon's guy or his buddy, you, you know, that's, that's a mistake that a lot of people, a lot of people uh, have. And, and so if this show teaches you absolutely anything beyond the trust but verify, realize that there's more, there's always going to be more to the picture and, and go into any deal, uh, go into any property. Keeping that in mind is going to give you somewhat of an advantage over somebody who may not be doing that. Yeah, right. It's 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 what you don't know that's yeah. going to get you. And, and there's you know you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know. I I you know that's why I call people and and ask people. And, yeah, you know. I gotcha. Awesome. All right. Step thirteen and the final step here. Adjust your price relative to financing package. Well, you know, most people on BP know me as as creative finance guy. They and, know you as the argumentative guy, actually. <laughs> very opinionated, creative finance <laughs> guy. And basically, all that says is this. If, if you have an opportunity to get into a deal that cash flows, but requires you to bring $93,000 down. Would you be willing to pay a little more for that deal in exchange for only needing to bring $5,300 to close it? Would that be okay? Presuming that it's still cash flow. And I think the answer should be yes, because the single greatest barrier to entrance into this game, this is a cash intensive game, real estate, is having money. A lot of people don't have money. Uh, I certainly didn't have money where I, when I started. And so I had, to, I had to approach it from a standpoint, look, if I have to hold the hammer in my hand, like Brandon, I can't do it. I'm a violinist. <laughs> no, this is this, seriously, guys. Yeah, sure. I cannot do it. I can't do plumbing. Uh, who am I kidding? If this is what's necessary and this is what's required, then this game may not be for me. Same is true with bringing back then might have been $10,000. Might you know, might have been $100,000. 10 and 100 made no difference because I had neither at that point, right? So would would you pay more? I know you did the numbers. You evaluated the whole thing. The thing is just worth $120,000. Would you pay $140,000 and would you still cash flow it if it meant you got in 
with nothing out of pocket or very minimal out of pocket. And that's a call, a judgment call that you have to make. Whatever your minimum NOI requirements, whatever your minimum cash flow requirements, because obviously if you finance more, then your cost of money goes up, then your cash flow goes down. So you have to make that call. But fundamentally, if I needed to bring that kind of money down, I wouldn't be in this game. Hmm. So, yep. And that's exactly what happened with this template. Yeah. I mean, the purchase price in this thing was three ninety three five, and a you know twenty normal twenty five percent down payment would have required almost a hundred thousand dollars, and that would have put it completely out of reach. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done it because it's stupid to bring a hundred thousand dollars down on a ten unit in Lima, Ohio. I mean, that's just it carries an awful lot of risk, right? So I was able to avoid doing that. But I've done it in such a way that I'm cash flowing really well still, even having financed uh, the entire purchase, essentially. And I think yeah. I think that's difficult because, I mean, one of the reasons people finance is to bring down the payment so that they can get more cash that's, flow. I'm not saying they should, but that's what deal. people do. And so the, what you did is you found a property that was such a good deal that you could afford creative financing because that's – I think. <clears throat> what it's all about. You're exactly right. But more than that, I think it's a huge mistake to put more money down to create cash flow. We're not in the business of buying cash flow. We need to be creating cash flow, literally out of thin air. That's our job. We're entrepreneurs. It doesn't take a lot of brains to throw cash on the table. That's not intelligent investing. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, I mean, ultimately the bottom line is you can make any property cash flow uh, by putting money down. I mean, I could put 75% down on a property and say, oh, this thing cash flow is great. Well, dude, you got 75% down. Hell yeah, it better freaking cash flow at 75% down. If you can find a property that cash flows at zero down, you know, suddenly you found something that's fantastic. Um, really, really quick al- along with this, and, and then we, we got to start wrapping this thing up is, uh, I think it's really important that while creative finance is fantastic, uh, it's a great way to go. You have to have some cash on hand. You've got, you know, you're buying property with no money down is great. It's doable. It's possible. You cannot be a real estate investor with no money, um, b- because expenses come up and, and things happen and you need to have reserves. And if you don't have reserves, you're going to be out of business very, very quickly. I would agree, but I would add that if you have a partner who has the cash, you could do it. That's one of the only ways I think I would recommend doing it. Uh, and, and I would agree further, but but I would qualify. You have to have access Fair enough. to money. Yeah. You have to have access to the reserve. So maybe that would be like a, a partner a or a line of credit. Setup. Yep. You know, uh, it's it's it, or maybe even a credit card. If you really, you have to be. I, I have to tell people you have to be extremely. I've used them, but you have to be extremely cautious yeah. when using credit. Yeah, we could do a whole show on credit cards because right. I've got yeah. good and bad stories right. on them. But yeah. anyway, fantastic. Well, I uh, I don't know. I I, I hope. I hope we covered the the 13 steps of analyzing a property. I you know, I 
I, our, our goal was how to buy a multifamily property. I don't know that we walked through finding the property. I don't know that we walked through a lot of those things, but I, I think we did a pretty decent job of covering. And I think you know, there's, there's so much information out there of how to, I mean, like what I've written two articles called how to buy a small multifamily property. Like that's, that's the mechanics, but this was more important than the mechanics. Yeah, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, with that, I, I think it's official. We are, we are at, uh, right about two hours, Ben. You uh, you did it. You you manipulated <laughs> Josh and Brandon. And, uh, I'm getting offline with you guys. I'm calling Serge right now. <laughs> I'm telling you flat out, honestly, because you know he's a few hours behind me. So so it's midnight his time. Yeah, you yeah. can tell him. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Well, listen, I definitely want to thank you very, 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 very much for for being here for joining us. I I think this is a fantastic show. I think you know if you could get past the uh, Waldo debates. <laughs> Uh, there's an incredible amount of value in in what we covered. So I I do want to thank you very very much for 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 everything. It's yeah. it's my pleasure. Yeah, thank and, you. And um, hey, it's um, bigger pockets, home away from home. That's awesome. <laughs> really? Okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> I'm a nice guy, but I'm difficult to get along with. Really? So to find two. Gentlemen, one of whom is wearing such a wonderful tie, who like me. That's huge for me. I mean, you know, you Do got me. really you got, like him. You got me. You got me. all right. I love it. I love it. That's great, man. That's great. Well, listen, uh, thank you. Thank you again. Uh, for, for everybody listening, this was uh, the Bigger Pockets podcast show 61. Uh, definitely check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 61. Ben will be there ready to fight and argue with you. Uh, he's, uh, I expect be, these, the comments in the show notes to be a little longer than usual this time. I, I do as well. I do as well. Uh, so definitely go there and check it out. Otherwise, if you haven't listened to the previous 60 shows, I really strongly recommend you do that. Uh, you know, we've covered such an incredible amount of volume of information in this, these 60 shows and and uh, it, it costs you nothing. Get in there, check it out, learn uh, learn a thing or two from every show from these amazing guests that we have. And uh, otherwise, if you're not already a member, I strongly encourage you to jump in, get involved, participate, engage. If you're not doing that, you're definitely missing out on on the biggest value that you can get from Bigger Pockets. There's way more value in that interaction than there is from reading. I guarantee it. I promise it. Um, otherwise check us out on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, Twitter. We share stuff all over the web on other channels. So definitely be sure to follow us on those. And with that, that's the end of the show. So hopefully you enjoyed this format. Don't beat us up too much. If you do yell at the other guys (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I'm Josh Dorkin host of the bigger pockets podcast with my co-host Brandon Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. 
With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.